Developing new prescription medicine for market is a costly and oftentimes a futile endeavor, as drug makers can spend up to $2.6 billion only to see 12% of their candidates gain approval. When Pfizer fails on two out of three new drugs, retail investors have grown leery of the space. But companies like Aquis Pharmaceuticals, AQS.V, have found a way to bypass this massive regulatory and financial bottleneck by seeking out existing drugs approved in other countries and bringing them to Canada for market approval. Spending 12 to 18 months rather than the standard 8 to 10 years for new drug approval, Aquis also benefits from low fixed costs that allow the company to profitably operate in a relatively small marketplace such as Canada in niche areas including neurology, ophthalmology and transplant. Positioned for growth with 2 million cash in the till, Aquis is a steady bet in an uncertain industry. As such, Equity Guru's own Chris Perry spoke with company CEO and chairman Doug Jansen to get a better look at the company's unique de-risked approach and its potential for investors. Welcome to the Equity Guru CEO interview. Uh, today I'm talking to Doug Franson from uh, Aquis Pharma. Uh, AQS is the ticket symbol. How are you, man? Doing well. How are you? Getting by? Fine in this brave new political world. Uh, yeah. So uh, for people who don't know what Aquis does, uh, how would you describe that to them in a uh, hundred words or less? Yeah, when you think about biotech, most people kind of, you know, focus on companies that make novel discoveries, like the science heavy companies, the 10 year billion dollar clinical development programs. You know, we all come from that background, but with Aquis, we're a commercial business. So we focus on bringing commercial products to Canada and generating revenue from them. Um, Canada is a large country by landmass, but a small market when it comes to global pharmaceuticals. And we've been able to carve a niche, you know, uh, out for in the ophthalmology space in Canada and a, a few other areas, and have been adding revenues and, and products steadily over the past over the past few years. So you know, I guess a lot of people sort of steer clear of, of biotech and, and uh, early stage pharma companies because of that long process of FDA approval and millions of dollars that are required to be spent and and the potential that you know one small glitch sets you back a year um, you're you're taking it in a very different way in that you're going towards products that are already have uh, approval just tweaking them in a, in a manner that makes them a little bit more effective maybe opens them up to a new market can you talk a bit about that yeah so I, I come from the original background of, of biotech development and you know have gotten drugs approved, um, did billion dollar deals around products with companies like Merck, uh, and, and still lost my hair because of the stress of that business. It's, it's uh, you know, even the biggest, even Pfizer fails on two out of three products in phase three. And right. uh, there's just not enough capital in Canada to really do novel discovery. Like, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's difficult. There's, there's only a few companies that are successful at that. So with Aquis, we look at products that are approved in the US or approved in Europe. Uh, so they're already on market and we often bridge them into Canada. You know, one of our major sources of those type of ideas is the clinicians in Canada that we service. You know, if you're a ophthalmologist in Toronto, you're going to the same conferences as an ophthalmologist in LA or London or Berlin. Those groups of specialists traffic together. And we've often had Canadian doctors talk to us about products that have been approved in other territories, but they're not available in Canada. And and we use them as our kind of sounding board when we do business development. We then bring those assets, you know, we diligence them and 
start walking them through Health Canada and then eventually if all goes well, we get them into our salespeople's hands and we start generating revenue from So I guess the, the timelines on that are a lot different. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, from the second you get a good idea and you start diligence on it, that, that usually takes three months. You know, there's a regulatory process. You have to file with Health Canada. That can take up to six months. But you're, you're measuring these things in kind of 12 to 18 months as opposed to eight to 10 years. Mm -hmm. And your costs are like your costs are pretty well fixed at what the filing fee is with Health Canada and whatever commercial deal you cut. Whereas, you know, in the drug development world, you know, if your trial doesn't meet a certain endpoint, you got to repeat it. You know, you're, or you have to expand it. You know, those those things are two hundred million dollar decisions. Anything like, that you're constantly making. So for us, you know, because we're founders of Aquis, we are the biggest shareholders. Um, insiders we really developed this kind of capital sensitive model because you know for, for our own benefit we, we, we saw an opportunity to make a profitable pharmaceutical business in Canada generating you know decent revenues and not requiring huge amounts of, of necessary funding and financings and shareholders to get there so we uh, you know kind of we were greedy when we started it. We wanted to make a profitable business and, and, and do our best to, to pay ourselves well. And your risk profile is is lowered significantly as well. We're not dealing with like, we hope this will get approved. It's it's already approved. You're just basically changing, say the format or the, you know, the... Yeah, there's, there's some of that. We, we will we'll reformulate existing products. Mostly we're looking at commercially approved products and bridging them into Health Canada. So there's a, They've already been approved in Europe or the US. So there's a dossier that a sophisticated westernized review, you know, has, has, has occurred. Mm -hmm. uh, then we, uh, we start walking them through Health Canada. The main risk you have is execution on sales. You know, uh, how you've done your forecasting, like is the opportunity is as, as big as you thought. Mm -hmm. And then in Canada, it's just typical reimbursement. The, the pricing environment in Canada is difficult. Uh, it's, and it's, it's just, you know, making sure your your numbers are right, that supporting your business decisions. So instead of technical risk that you can't control, you know, like I said, Pfizer, biggest company in pharmaceuticals, fails on clinical trials, like constantly. Mm -hmm. None of us know what novel preclinical product is gonna work or not. For us, most of the risks that we have, we can model and, and we can, you know, try to set you know, conservative estimates and, and, and really be able to make, even though we're scientists, we want to make good business decisions. And, and that's kind of what drives our thinking. Right. I guess the, the, the example I, I heard uh, early on uh, was if, you have, if you're a parent of an epileptic and the drug treatment that you have to stop a kid from having seizures requires a suppository, that, you know, adapting that to a nasal spray might be uh, opening up a market that's pretty significant that is that is previously untapped. Yeah, there's lots of there's lots of existing products that could benefit from reformulation. Um, yeah. it, that's an area where, you know, we do less and less of that ourselves, but we're more than happy to go to experts who are developing reformulated products and license them for Canada. You know, for us, the most of our day-to-day -day efforts are around finding revenue-generating products for Canada and executing on the ones that we have um that's that's the, the major stuff but that's not something that your average uh house street guy can just decide he's making a pharmaceutical company and then start finding those partners themselves like there's a lot of 
knowledge and uh, I guess uh, experience that has to be brought down to know who to deal with. Well, we had kind of a few years where the average house street guy thought they could make cannabis pharmaceutical companies mm-hmm. and and you know a few were successful but most weren't it, it's a hard industry um uh we're really trying to focus on things where you know we can measure the risk we can try to deal with it and there's short timelines to to, to revenue um that that's that's how we that's kind of how we view the world right so uh, the current uh, uh products on on the, the slate there for Equus. Uh, you've had a couple of approvals over the last few months, which I guess bears out exactly what you're saying in terms of getting through the process. Uh, but news today about uh, a third. Yeah, we're expecting, uh, we filed three products with Health Canada in earlier in, in, in October. Two of them have completed review and got approved and we're expecting news on the third uh, at any point. Um, launch initiatives have already started for all three. Uh, we've been buying making inventory orders from our manufacturing partner in the UK and we are really dialing up marketing efforts the online presence for our on- online sales and uh, and we're really looking for these to be material you know contributors to revenue as we as we get into to 2021 the one kind of neat trend in our space has been you know drug de- drug delivery and, and how you sell pharmaceutical products really hasn't changed in the last 50 years. It still involves salespeople who get in their cars, drive all around Ontario, seeing physicians dropping off donuts and samples at the front desk, and then they go on to the next one. COVID really affected that. Clinics were closed. Um, Doctors lost a whole bunch of revenue because they couldn't do procedures. The last thing they wanted was salespeople walking in their office and spreading COVID. You know, like it, it really changed it. And we shouldn't be surprised because online sales have revolutionized every other retail sector on the planet, but it was really slow in the pharmaceutical world. Now we're seeing kind of 30% of volumes, you know, are now happening online. And as you can appreciate, it's way cheaper to have a server up and running than it is to have a fully salaried salesperson burning gas and car allowance, you know, every day. So. This doesn't just benefit Aquis, it's, it, it kind of benefits that whole class of companies that we call specialty pharma. But, you know, the 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 sales model is evolving uh, more and more to a much cheaper and better margined approach, which is online. So we're really looking forward to, like, that, that's going to be a big initiative for us as we get into 2021. You know, we recently hired uh, Grant Larson as our chief commercial officer. Prior to that, Grant ran the largest ophthalmology purchasing consortium in Canada and they did about 180 million dollars a year in purchasing so online how you market to optometrists and ophthalmologists all those things are what he did on the other side of the wall for the last 10 years now he's doing it you know on our side as far as folks who are who are providing the products and generating revenue from them so we're, we're just super excited about some of the entrepreneurial things we can do uh, as we Get these products into market in Canada. COVID's helped you along a little bit on the on the future sales front, but uh, I note that you guys have steered very clear of the the hype uh, potential uh, of what you do. You're not walking around saying we're going to come up with cannabis formulations. You're not, you know, throwing out uh, COVID nineteen cures and okay. and psychedelics and all the things that 
potentially down the road there's probably an opportunity for but you've stayed very much to hey look we're a bunch of grown-ups here doing grown-up work there's money to be made in the margins and this is where we're at you've, you've hit it exactly you know wall street did not wake up today wondering where that next six million dollar canadian product is <laughs> right yep. Pfizer certainly didn't. They probably spent $6 million on coffee already at this point of the day. You know, for us, those, you know, if we can generate $6 million in revenue off of our, our existing salespeople, you know, the margins on that can be 80%. Um, you know, that that's a good business. You, you cobble four or five of those together, you have a, now have a profitable business, and you can choose to either return capital or just keep keep adding to, adding to the mix. And, and eventually, you know, the number one thing always in business is revenue. Um, so we talk to lots of companies like us, bigger, smaller, and, and the idea around merging with someone or, or, or using, you know, using investment capital to go to go build a bigger business. You know, we're we look at all those things. Um, so it's not as sexy as some of the other uh, opportunities in biotech or that we talked about cannabis, um, but hey, it's our own money. We're really wanting it to to grow. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said as well for not being the first guy to try and crash through the wall in a, in a in a new area like psychedelics or cannabis, or even COVID for that matter. You know, certain companies uh, in the Canadian exchange have rocketed on that front and then trailed off miserably. Yeah. Um, you kind of want to be bringing in things that that make money, not things that are going to cost you a lot of money to maybe sort of maybe have an opportunity down the road. Yeah, I'm a, like I said, I'm a scientist by training and I got into finance. So I was an investment banker covering biotech for a long time. And, you know, when you're in that seat, you see way more failures than successes. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you uh, it really kind of, you know, like focus on how do you avoid the, how do you avoid the risks? Um, and less so than how do you generate the biggest reward? Because that in our industry, that's usually out of your control. Yeah. Um, so it's how do you avoid the risks? And and you know we we don't think we're a boring story. We grow in revenues pretty well every quarter. It looks like we're gonna have another record quarter here in Q3. Um, but it's you know it doesn't get the same sex appeal as, as some other sectors. But it's a it's a good business, and we plan to keep growing it. You know I think there's a lot to be said for for no sex appeal. Speaking as a 50 year old with uh, you know could lose 15 pounds. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, we've we've all gone through the last few years of uh, cannabis companies rocketing on promise and not necessarily on on returns. Uh, that that's certainly not the only sector in which that's been the case. Um, but you know, you guys are clearly looking at the older style of public company where you actually return a profit, maybe even think about a dividend at one point. You know, it's like that I could put my money into a, a deal and five years later be comfortable that it's gonna be progressed as opposed to having to pull my money out every six months and put it into something else and pull it out and put it into something. Like I kind of miss the old days where my, you know, my parents had their stock certificates in a closet yeah. and a dividend check every month. When you think about like, you know, Canada's seen these type of ideas before that we're doing, you know, the, the Goodman family that, you know, with Knight Therapeutics and with Paladin, you know, they, they built a billion dollar business you know one canadian product at a time um you know we've canada medical labs john mull like the same type of thing guys have built these really successful businesses uh really lucrative and you know we're we're kind of following that that same approach um the the market will 
respond to revenues, it'll respond to decreasing losses, it'll respond to you know, new product launches. And you know, with our partnership with Medicom, you know, jointly we have rights for some of our products in the US. So, you know, first thing is to really stabilize the next like, stabilize the current business and then start looking, you know, is there other opportunities, you know, in much bigger markets. For example, our drug this Titan for glaucoma. Uh, competes head-to-head -head against Allergan, you know, for patients. And uh, Canada is about a $90 million market for the product. And we're, you know, we're getting about 6% market share. That's a $900 million market in the U.S. Hmm. So, you know, it takes infrastructure and it takes people. But if you can, you know, you can show that you compete and, and, and take 6% market share away from these, you know, really big businesses or approximately, Six percent. Um, you know, you can see where there's a much, where there really are some sexy opportunities. Uh, you know, as you look into Europe or, or, or the U.S. and things like that. And the more products you have, obviously, the better an economy of scale you have with your existing sales infrastructure and admin and, and general costs. Um, we, do you think people might be looking at you your news flow right now and thinking, well, this is the dry eye company, and missing the fact that you know next week you could have something that treats herpes or treats uh, gold ball. Yeah, so, you know, I, I think you know, we have a good presence in ophthalmology. We have good relationships with you know the, the clinicians in that space. You know, for us, uh, we are achieving economy of scale because we have multiple products that you know service their needs. Mm -hmm. There, there's some ideas out there that we look at that you know we might stand alone, take them forward, and try to build a sales force. But you know when we like around different areas like neurology or, or something but for us you know the best like when we kind of rank products ones that you know fill a need within the ophthalmology space are are, are really front and center for us right now you know one neat thing about ophthalmology um in canada you know in canada clinicians are really restricted on how they can generate revenue um and there's most of it's a not-for-profit setup in canada um, in ophthalmology, there's a few profitable companies that have been allowed. If you think about the laser vision correction, those are profitable businesses like any other business. They're motivated by profit. And a whole bunch of cool transactional type of deals you can do with those big groups that aggregate a lot of patients um, in a different way than what would happen in a cancer setting or things like that. Got so it. there's, a, there's a, a lot more flexibility around the business model in ophthalmology and certainly uh, and optometry, and uh, we, you know, we love the transactional side of the business and finding like win-win revenue solutions, and, and we're really excited about layering on deals with big buyer groups like the one that you know our CCO used to work for, and you know start getting into that space. So you know it takes a single salesperson then to cover a whole bunch of people who've aggregated in a buying group gotcha. and in some of these big surgical centers and the, and the big optometry chains that they, they cross the border you know north south so good relationships in canada can lead to you know executable opportunities in the u.s as well so i think i haven't i hadn't really considered was the fact that in canada you know we're also very uh public medicine oriented yeah um, so the number of of potential customers that you have are a little bit limited in a lot of areas and what the government will spend is limited in a lot of areas but in ophthalmology it's much more of a private practice 
Um, Especially optometry. Like optometry is pure private. Like they, like those guys, they, they run retail stores. They have the same pressures and concerns that someone who has a shoe store. You know what I mean? Like they, they are businessmen and women who, uh, who are. You know, if you can bring them sources of revenue, make their days easier. You know, it it, it really works. Whereas in the medical side, it's all about does the product work for the patients, right? And that's as it should be. Um, so. We, we kind of bridge both of those sides. We, we do prescription glaucoma meds. Uh, it gives us a lot of street cred with the clin clinical group, and, and 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 we really benefit from our, you know, from our relationships with clinicians. As we launch all these dry eye products into you know optometry chains, um, it's a little bit of a different model. It allows us to get way more customer service oriented. It's not just about the data. It's about how we help our optometrists generate more revenue for their practices? How do we help them find more patients? How do we you know, bring them products that are gonna make differences to their to their customers and patients? And uh, we're really excited about that. So the, the products that you've brought so far, I noticed the, uh, uh, you know, moving an existing product that it was an eye gel for dry eyes into yeah. a format. Uh, seems like an obvious thing for yeah. someone who has the rights to that product to make that change. Why, do, why is it that, that the originators of a lot of this IP get stuck into a less user-friendly format and don't do that work to progress it forward? Yeah, it's it's usually what's the fastest to market. And then the next responders, because everything's competitive, you know, people have to innovate to try to be better than what was first to market. Mm -hmm. You know, I still remember to this day, it was a, I saw a well-known glaucoma specialist in, in Toronto. Uh, this was about three years ago. And she said, like, if you could give me a preservative-free, single, like a, 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 a multi-dose bottle. I would use that version in all my patients. So this was at a time where preservative-free eye care wasn't really a thing. Yeah, the clinical community was starting to, to want to move that way, and it, had, you know, Europe was kind of two years ahead of Canada. So we started to listen. Like this is how we do our business. We we listened to the clinicians. And we went out and we found a company in the UK that makes a big line of preservative-free eye care products and delivers them in easy-to-use multi-dose bottles. That was Medicom, um, and you know, we've taken that you know, we've taken that that request by clinicians to find a product that has benefit over what's currently being used, and uh, you know the benefit that may be modest at different times, but that's still that's still how you market it. If you have a, if you have a better product, that's how you market. It. Sure. So that's a real specific example of, you know, Medicom has now grown to five products that we're partnered on. Um, some that are hitting market now. Some that are going to get filed with Health Canada and, and, and the FDA, hopefully in the next you know six to twelve months. It's uh, that's how we do our business. We listen to our customers and then we try to, you know, bring products to, to, to Canada that we can market, that we can uh, that have an angle that you can go you know, present them to, to your customers and, and really try to you know, explain why this is a better better product. So for them, they get to expand their product without having to set up a, a, another country's uh, sales operation. Yeah, they're really busy in the UK. Love IP. Yeah, the, like Medicom is, you know, they have sales across Europe. Uh, and you know, for a lot of companies, uh, the revenues you can generate in Canada just aren't material to them. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, like, or 
it's material, but it's not on the top of their priority list compared to what they can generate in the US, Europe, Asia. So yeah, we are, we're happy to pick up the scraps behind these global giants, so to speak. It's a good business model, this Icarus model. I, 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 I think that, you know, uh, I'm really kind of beat up over the last couple of years, both by the markets and the political world. You know, it seems like that, that uh, you try to pick a winner, you look at a hundred companies in a day, they've all got big presentations that claim they're going to be billion dollar companies or part of a billion dollar market or it, there's just a real lack of, of just grown up opportunities. Just where if, if I give you my $10,000, I'm pretty sure that you're going to be a good steward of it. And I think that even if somebody, when Aquas came to market, looked and said, how do I know that these guys are, are any good? The news flow that you've had over the past three months has been one of legitimacy, of, of maintaining, look, this is what we said we're going to do. Here it is, we've done exactly what we said we we're going to do. Now here's what we're going to do next. And it's, I think, it, it, for, especially for new investors, um, that sort of uh, being able to actually trust what's going on at the C-suite is, is, is almost a rare thing. Yeah, it's you know, the the small cap market in Canada kind of has evaporated in the last eight years, and uh, you know there was a, a lot of affluent drove drove into cannabis when that was exciting. You know, you see some of it moving into gold, but in general, you know, there used to be a huge amount of institutional small cap money managers. Mm -hmm. Now there's probably two or three. Uh, so it's 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 hard in that space from a, getting investor attention. But we're we've, we're growing to this point where, you know, we can self-fund more and more of our projects. We can grow. You know, we we prefer to grow with a really strong market as our partner. But it's not as uh, it's not. You know, we're we're kind of gotten over the hump on that. You know, we did a, a three million dollar financing with with Cormark uh, in August. I was the biggest investor in that round, and you know, we're getting to that spot where we think we can grow regardless of what our share price does. And over time that eventually, you know, it always, value always gets recognized. Sometimes it takes long, sometimes it takes a little while. We're confident it'll get recognized.